0: Chapter three The wave of cultists swept across the rain soaked square, trampling underfoot the torn and blasted bodies of their erstwhile comrades from previous attacks. Volleys of gunfire rang out from the Frataris defenders, sheltering behind the cover of the barricades, finding easy targets amongst the first ranks of the attackers. Figures screamed and fell, joining the litter of corpses on the ground. Those unlucky enough not to be instantly killed by the gunfire would soon be crushed to death by the stampede of feet. The fire from the barricades increased in intensity as the cultist attack came within full range of most of the defenders' guns. Increased and then suddenly faltered and almost died away completely as the Frataris defenders realised what it was they were firing at. The heretics were employing new tactics... They had found themselves an army of human shields, a living wall, fully five ranks deep. Women and children, the sick and infirm. None had been spared, all of them rounded up in their hundreds from their hiding places amongst the ruins and pressed into the service of Khoisan, the Faceless. Lines of blood-maddened cultist killers followed close behind the packed ranks of the shield wall, howling their devotions to the powers of the Warp. "'shooting and stabbing their weapons into the backs of the captured civilians, "'driving them forward in a terrified stampede into the gun sights of the cathedral defenders. "'A low moan of collective despair rose up from the line of Frataris defenders. "'They were prepared to die. "'They were eager to die, fighting the Emperor's enemies, "'and to take as many of the heretic traitors as possible with them. "'They were not prepared for this.' Semper and Devane saw the danger immediately. Every second the human shield survived brought the cultist attack wave a step closer to the cathedral defences. Intact, it would quickly overwhelm and sweep aside the defenders on the barricades. Nervous Fritaris' brethren cast questioning glances at the two Imperial commanders. Both men knew what must be done, but both men hesitated to give the required order. It fell to Maxim Barossa. Hive scum criminal and killer, to do what was necessary. Open fire! He bellowed, charging up and down the line of defenders and lashing out in anger at them with his heavy jackboots. Open fire! You bunch of prayer mumbling sob sisters! They're good as dead anyway! We all are! So what are you waiting for? The gunners on the eastern side of the square opened fire at the hive worlders' command, many of them whispering silent prayers for forgiveness, as they pressed the triggers and firing studs of their weapons. Moments later, there came a second, answering crash of gunfire from the northern side of the barricade defences, as the Frataris gunners there followed suit. A hail of bullets and fire smashed into the human wall, cutting through flesh, blowing apart bone and tissue. In the forefront of the firing positions, Semper saw and heard the pitiful screams and pleas for mercy as the living components of the human shield wall were mown down in their hundreds. He saw a lone child, probably no more than six or seven years old, standing alone amongst the carnage screaming for its parents, only seconds later to disappear beneath the crashing weight of the bodies charging forward from behind it. He saw a mother protectively clutching a swaddled bundle of cloth that could only be an infant baby just as a burst of heavy bolt of fire ripped through the ranks of the living shield wall mercifully obliterating her from view. Semper saw all this and then tried to blank it all from his mind. Tried to see nothing but target objects and the vile enemies sheltering behind them as he fired his last pistol over and over again, sending shot after shot of searing las fire into the screaming, pleading mass of humanity. Semper kept firing until there were no more of the target objects left standing before him, only living enemies. The last pistol's plastic and metal grip burned against his hand, and the whole weapon was dangerously overheated. Its power pack almost fully depleted from cyclic overfiring. Semper discarded it without a second glance and drew his sabre, knowing what would come next. As a young and ambitious officer, Learton Semper had led many boarding assaults on enemy vessels, or commanded repulsing counter-assaults on enemy boarding attacks on his own vessel. Always he had been first into the fray, always he ended up fighting in the thick of the action. It had been years since he had taken part in this kind of vicious close-quarters fighting, and before this he might have doubted whether he was still capable of that kind of bloody-handed savagery again. Now seeing the lines of loathsome, black-garbed enemies charging forwards towards him, Seeing the cultists ruthlessly cutting down the few remaining civilians who stood in the way between them and the barricade defenders, Semper knew that he would be more than capable of the required level of bloodthirsty savagery. Killing scum like this would be a distinct pleasure, over and above being his duty to the Emperor and Imperium. "'Stand ready!' he called, brandishing his sabre as he scaled the lip of the barricade. Give them a greeting to take back to their masters in the war! With the shield wall gone, a second hail of fire rang out from the barricade defenders, ripping into the mass of heretics. Dozens of them were killed in seconds, hundreds more unharmed, charged on, weathering the storm of gunfire, crashing against the barricade like a living wave. Maddened with fear and bloodlust, The first ranks of cultists threw themselves at the makeshift bulwark of the barricades, fighting amongst themselves to be the first to scale over it. Those who succeeded were instantly met and attacked by the Frataris defenders waiting there. Other cultists tore at the barricade foundations with their bare hands, trying to pull sections of it down or thrust gun barrels through any available apertures or breaches in its structure, firing blindly in the hope of hitting those hiding on the other side. In front of Semper, the black-cloaked followers of the Powers of the Warp swarmed over the top of the barricades, falling on the defenders. Semper thrust his sabre point through the throat of the first wild-eyed madman to come at him, stepping back sharply to avoid the man's falling body. Another killing thrust with the sabre dispatched the next enemy in line, but more bodies pressed forward to take the places of the men Semper had killed. A hail of rag-lit, promethium-filled glass bottles and clay-pot missiles, which side had thrown them, it was impossible to tell, landed all along the top of the barricade, engulfing attacker and defender alike in a blanket of flame and instantly setting ablaze sections of the barricade. Men soaked in burning promethium rolled across the rain slick cobbles on the ground in a vain attempt to put out the hungry, chemically fueled flame now consuming them. Semper silenced the screams of one man with a stab of his sabre, not knowing whether he had killed another enemy or mercy-killed a fellow servant of the Emperor. More black-cloaked figures scrambled over the barricade top, leaping through the wall of flame, many of them setting themselves alight in the process and running amok, still burning through the ranks of the defenders, their screams of pain and joy an insane epiphany to their demon masters. One of the burning figures ran shrieking at Semper, waving a fiery scythe weapon above its head, only to be pulled down seconds later by a group of Fritaris secondary defenders. They hacked at it with knives and makeshift tool weapons until its thrashing and shrieks finally ceased, although even in its death throes it proved a deadly opponent, uh, spitting one of the Fritaris on the cruel blade of its burning weapon. Glancing round, Semper found it impossible to tell how the battle was going. Everywhere he looked, he saw chaos and confusion. The ordered lines of defence falling into a bloody struggle for survival as the tide of cultists continued to sweep across the now broken barricade defences. Rain fell unceasingly from the skies, muffling the sound of screams, cries and gunfire from all around, mixing with the gory detritus of battle to form treacherous, blood-filled puddles on the cobbled ground. A cultist stepped out in front of him, a brace of severed heads hanging from the braided human hair belt around his waist. The man giggled insanely, swinging a gore-dripping cleaver at the Imperial Navy commander. Semper parried the attack, with ease, splitting the heretic butcher's skull with his return blow. A deformed hand thrust a pistol muzzle towards Semper's belly. Semper severed it with a sabre blow before it could pull the trigger. A young woman leapt at him, reaching out for his face, eyes and exposed throat with fingers twisted into long cartilage-formed talons. Semper ran her through with his sabre, using her own momentum to impale her through the heart. He pulled the blade free as her body tumbled to join the others on the corpse-littered cobbles. All around him he saw the black and brown cloaked figures of the heretics and Frataris. Nowhere did he see the navy blue of any of his own crewmen. Ran had been with him minutes ago, at the beginning of the battle, faithfully watching his back, but Semper had not seen him since the battle had descended into this bloody and confused melee. Grimly, he wondered if he was the last surviving crew member of the Macarius left on Bellatis, and then the next wave of heretics swarmed forward, calling his attention back to more immediately urgent matters. Roaring in angry defiance, throat roar from bellowing a non-stop stream of stranoverite curses. Maxim swung his chainsword like a maw, using it to shatter the skull of yet another black-cloaked madman. The weapon had ceased functioning minutes ago. It was either out of power or the workings of its whirring monomolecular chain blade had become clogged with gore. But Maxim had preferred to keep hold of it. Its jagged razor teeth could still tear through flesh, and its heavy, solid blade casing could still crush bone, particularly when wielded by someone of Maxim's strength. Adept Hyuga lay nearby, face staring up into the sky, rainwater splashing into his dead, sightless eyes. His bravery had given way as soon as the chaos charge began. With a whimper of terror, He had turned and ran back towards the safety of the cathedral. Mindful of his captain's orders, Maxim had let him take all of five or six steps before turning and smartly putting free heavy slug pistol rounds between his shoulder blades. Fritaris' defenders had contemptuously scooped up the adept's still-twitching corpse and added it to the others, using their own dead as makeshift building blocks to fill the breaches in the barricade defences. Stacked with these other gruesome human sandbags, Honoured adept Munitorum, Hyuga, contributed more in death to the valiant, desperate defence of the Ecclesiarchy Cathedral than he ever could have in life. Maxim kept on fighting, killing everything in front of him that came clambering over the barricade. Fritaris' defenders, awestruck by the terrifying sight of this blood-drenched, bellowing giant striking down the Emperor's enemies, rallied around him, throwing themselves at their attackers with renewed energy. Maxim roared with savage laughter as he swung the broken chainsword, smashing it through the ribcage of one cultist, sending its jagged blade teeth slicing through the spine of another. Somewhere deep inside himself, Maxim began to wonder if he wouldn't actually somehow survive all this. After all, he had been born amongst the clanless dregs of the Stranavar Hive, into the lowest strata of hive society, where the average life expectancy was twenty years or less, and he had survived that just as he had later survived and even flourished amongst the brutal and lawless gang of culture of the Stranovar Underhive. And then, too, there had been the arbitrator cull and enforced slavery on Lubyanka's gulag factories, before finally coming aboard the Macarius, where again he had not only survived but flourished, a combination of strange fortune and calculated ruthlessness, elevating him from indentured slave crewmen, to petty officer rank in a matter of months. Maxim remembered the words one of the Ganga women had whispered to him as they lay together in his underhive crib, surrounded by the rest of his gang. She had been a strange wild one, Taniyara, with more than a touch of the weird sight about her. Exhausted by the night's revels, intoxicated by taji roots and fiery underhive brewed liquor, he had listened as she told him, that she had seen him in her visions. He had been on the bridge of one of the mighty vessels which sailed between worlds. He was wearing an officer's uniform, and there was the gleam of medals on his broad chest. Maxim had laughed at the idea then, thinking that it was the liquor and tajirut talking, knowing that, like all his nameless forebears before him, he would live and die on Stranivar without ever seeing or wanting to see anything of the other worlds that lay across the unimaginable gulfs of the Emperor's space. Taniara was probably long dead now. If the arbitrators hadn't gotten her, then the ecclesiarch witch-hunters or redemptionist maniacs almost certainly would have. But Maxim no longer laughed at the memory of her words. After all, part of her vision had come true. He had stood on the bridge of one of the Emperor's warships, had he not? Crucially, though, the uniform was that of a... NCO, petty officer, and there weren't any medals on his tunic breast. At least, not yet. Did that mean that the girl's vision was of a time yet to come? If so, then that meant that Maxim wasn't fated to die here with the rest of these prayer-mumbling madmen, which meant that, somehow, he was destined to escape from here. Laughing, he got ready to swing his chainsaw again and was almost disappointed to see no more black-cloaked cultists rushing lemming-like over the top of the barricade to offer themselves to his blade. All over what was left of the cathedral defence line, the thinned, scattered line of the remnants of the latest cultist attack wave was in retreat, Maxim threw the chainsword after them, drawing a pair of stub pistols from the bandolier of holsters and emptied them into the backs of the fleeing cultists, sending the survivors on their way with a stream of bullets and coarse stranoverite curses. Blood mixed with rainwater ran down his face from a scalp wound that he didn't even remember receiving. Maxim ran his tongue round his lips tasting the blood that coursed down his face, laughing again, because at least it meant that he was still alive. Alive and destined to stay that way, or so he fervently hoped. Koisan watched dispassionately as the ragged remains of his force retreated back to the ill-assumed safety of their own lines. He had intended to order his own gunners to open fire at them, but a better idea now occurred to him. Round them up and disarm them, he ordered an acolyte lieutenant. The man's face rotting off in tattered strips as the new mutant form, gifted to him by the powers of the warp, grew out from underneath. They can serve as the shield wall for the next attack. In truth, the failure of this attack did not surprise or even greatly disappoint the Chaos Warlord. The troops employed had been a disorganized rabble. "'little better than the human shield war prisoners "'whose place they would now take in the next attack. "'Other better troops were on their way, "'called away from the plunder of the Arbites' courthouse fortress "'on the other side of the city. "'With a trained mental effort,' He had quelled the blood god aspect of his no longer human soul, instead giving free rein to the part of him that belonged to Lord Zench, observing the battle with the clinical cold intelligence of a servant of the Great Conspirator, studying it for evidence of his enemy's strengths and potential weaknesses. The cathedral defenders were close to breaking point, he suspected, their ammunition and fighting strength almost exhausted by repulsing this attack. The next attack, supported by captured artillery and even armoured vehicles that were also on their way, would smash through what remained of the hitherto stubborn Cathedral defences with relative ease. Casting out his zench-blessed mystic senses, Khoisan divined the purpose of the final task that was expected of him here. There were several important servants of the False Emperor amongst the Cathedral's defenders. All of them would die, of course, but one amongst them in particular must perish. The voices of the warp whispered to him. A simple task, and easily achieved, thought Khoisan. His minions waited around him, weak, fallible things, every one of them scarcely able to understand the transformation that he would soon undergo. He favoured them with a commanding glance. There was one amongst the defenders, a captain in the false Emperor's navy. "'issue commands that when we begin the final attack. "'Care is to be taken that he is not killed or injured. "'His death is promised to me alone.'" The minions bowed in compliance. Khoisan did not know why this one servant of the false emperor had been so marked for death by the powers of the warp, but die he would, if that was their divine command. In his time... The Chaos Champion had personally killed untold thousands of the weakling servants of the False Emperor. What was one more now? Semper gathered what was left of his force in the leeway of the cathedral doors. By his estimate, there were scarcely a hundred able-bodied defenders left to man the shattered barricades, and of that number, probably less than half had a clip or more of ammunition left for their weapons. The next enemy attack, if it came in anything like the ferocity and numbers of that last one, would simply roll right over the top of them. Caparian was there, supported by the turret gunner Daxha. Both of them were wounded, but still willing to fight. Daxha's weapon of choice, a strangely curved, heavy-bladed chopping weapon, which he referred to as a kakuri, was clotted with gore, and now the quiet and reserved little feral worlder was ritually cleansing it, mumbling prayers to himself as he did so. Rahn was dead, Semper had seen his headless corpse amongst the ruins of the barricades, but Barroso was still with them. Looking at the big welder, swigging out of a bottle of no doubt potent liquor that he had apparently spirited out of nowhere, laughing to himself at some private joke, his arms and face painted with dried blood to add to his skin collage of ganga tattoos, Semper wondered if anything could kill the man. The members of the Governor Regents Court had acquitted themselves surprisingly well and with honour, but had suffered casualties accordingly. Only a handful of them, mainly Palace Guard officers, were still alive. General Brod lay back there on the barricades, his lifeless, bullet-riddled corpse surrounded by a litter of enemy dead. Whatever redemption the General had sought, he had now found. Nearby... A jar of kale lay slumped against a pile of fallen masonry, staring down in incomprehension at the gaping wound in his stomach that he had received from a ripping knife thrust. No, this can't be happening. This wasn't how it was all meant to happen. Kale mumbled to himself over and over again, watching gaunt-faced as his life's blood spilled out of him, pooling on the cobbles around him, before being washed away by the ever-present torrent of rain. Two Fritaris orderlies carefully lifted him up and bore him off inside. The wound was almost certainly fatal. The cathedral infirmary had run out of even the most basic medical supplies, and the Sororitas sisters and their attendants there could now offer their many wounded little other than prayers of comfort. Semper did not expect to see the former First Minister again. Divine, too, had survived. He had lost three fingers on his left hand at some point during the battle and sat crouched in the cover of a row of statuary, the graven images of stern-faced heroes of the Imperial faith looking down in disapproval at him as he bound up his crippled hand, cursing loudly in language rarely heard from any Imperial preacher pulpit. Looking up, he caught Semper watching him and grinned despite the pain of his wound. You hear them howling? I think they're getting ready to make another attack. Ready to do it all again, Captain. We've what? answered Semper, not yet ready to greet the prospect of his own imminent death with the same grim humour as Devane. The barricade line is almost gone, and we've hardly enough men left to defend one side of the square. Never mind all four. We should fall back to defend the cathedral entrances. Agreed, replied Devane. And then added with a laugh, Then at least we'll be out of the damned rain. Some more firepower would be a fine thing. That way, when they come through these doors, we could turn the hallway beyond into one long, cover-free shooting gallery. No one disagreed with Semper's choice of the word when rather than if. The heretic's final victory seemed assured. The only matter still in dispute was how many of them the defenders would kill in the process. Semper looked round spotting the remains of the shuttle that had brought him and his crew here. Whole sections of it had been cannibalised to provide more material for the barricades and what little remained was a stripped-down wreck. Tech Adept Co., are any of the turret weapons aboard the shuttle still usable? The non-combatant tech priest stood nearby, displaying the unnerving calmness typical of the servants of the machine god. Free of them, Captain, he answered although the craft's power systems are irreparably damaged, hence they cannot be made to fire. Can they be removed from their turret mountings on the shuttle? Semper asked. If we find other power units, could they be set up somewhere else, perhaps inside the cathedral? There are several portable power generators in the storage chamber in the vaults, said Devane excitedly. We found them when we were searching for weapons. Emperor knows if they're in any kind of usable condition. Caparian rose to his feet, helped by Daksha. If they are, we'll get them set up and running. It'll be a job getting those guns out of their mountings, though. Take as many of the Brethren as you need to help you. You'll need some covering fire, too, to protect you from those damn snipers. Devane turned, grinning at Semper. A good plan, Captain. If we can set up even one of those guns inside that hallway, they'll have to wade through their own blood to get to us. Maybe we'll take a few more of them with us than they were counting on. Captain Semper. Semper looked up in astonishment at the grey-habited figure standing before him that had seemingly materialised out of nowhere, seeing the distinctive psychic warding tattoos on the man's aged face, seeing the blank stare of his hollowed-out, empty eye sockets, and recognising him instantly for what he was, an astropath, capable of sending messages through the warp to his brethren in other far-distant star systems, or even, Fort Semper, those aboard not-so-distant Imperial warships. "'Captain Semper!' repeated Sobek, in the strange, sonorous tone so distinctive of those of the Astropath caste. "'It is not the Emperor's will that you die here today?' That is why he has commanded me to live this far. That is why he has guided me to you. Chapter 4 A matter of the greatest urgency, Drachenfels. We have received an astropathic communication from Captain Semper. He is alive and trapped on Bellartis, along with the survivors of his shuttle crew, the Governor-Regent of Bellartis, and members of his court. I am requesting permission to leave the convoy and return to Bellartis to pick them up. There was silence on the command deck of the Macarius, before the voice of Ramus crackled over the comnet. When he spoke, his voice was heavy with disbelief. "'From Semper? How can you be sure? The malign powers always seek to deceive Olante. There are many false and misleading voices in the warp. How can you be sure that it comes from Semper?' "'With respect, Captain Ramus, I believe the message is genuine.' answered Ulante It carries Captain Semper's personal command codex, known only to him and this vessel's chief astropath. Adeptus Repavna is a loyal and experienced servant of the Astrotelepathica, and swears that the message transmitted to him is true, with no hint of the false or malefic. Speaking for myself, I am convinced it is from the captain. Glancing towards the impassive figure of Kyogen standing nearby, who nodded at him in silent assent, other officers aboard Macarius, including ship's commissar Kyogen, also concur with me in this respect. We are certain that if anyone could have escaped the destruction of the palace and survived the growing anarchy on Bellatus, it would be Captain Semper. And what would you have us do, Macarius? barked Ramus, over the open ComNet channel. Turn back to rescue him! Risk the entire convoy for the life of one man! Elante had been expecting the question. His reply was considered and succinct. Our mission is to safely evacuate from Bellartis all valued servants of the Emperor before that world's destruction. That mission is not yet complete, not while Captain Semper and the Planetary Governor remain trapped there. I still cannot countenance releasing any vessel to return to Bellartis, no matter the reason. The evacuation of Bellartis is complete. Our first duty is to the Emperor... "'and battlefully gothic, not the life of one man, "'even if it is that of Leotan Semper. "'Maintain current speed and course, Macarius. "'I too grieve for Captain Semper, "'but regretfully your request is again denied. Drachenfels out.' "'An angry murmur of dissent ran round the command deck. "'Like Alante, the command crew's loyalties were with their captain.' Then, from beyond the bridge's central nave, a figure stepped forward, gesturing for the tech adepts manning the communications section to hold open the comnet link with the master of the Drachenfels, Captain Ramus. I am Marshal Primus Jamal Byzantine of the Adeptus Arbites, commander of the garrison on Bellatis. Matters have come to my attention regarding the continued presence of the Imperium servants on the world behind us, Byzantine held out his hand, gesturing for the data slate in the flag lieutenant's hand. Lieutenant Olante, may I see the transcript of the message received by your astropath? Byzantine scrolled quickly through the message, which was composed in the terse, abbreviated style typical of most astropath-conveyed communications – Analyzing Semper's brief version of the events, together with the names of the survivors and their current dire circumstances inside the fragile safety of the besieged cathedral, grimly satisfied, he handed the data device back to Alante. "'It is as I thought, Captain Ramus," he said, his deep voice taking on a new extra tone of authority." Amongst the list of those who have survived, along with Captain Semper, is the name of one who I now know to be a traitor to the Imperium and agent of the malign powers. It is perhaps solely due to this person's treachery that the crisis on Bellartis escalated as rapidly and disastrously as it did. Such treachery cannot be allowed to go unpunished. I concur with acting Captain Olante's plan for return to Bellatus immediately to effect the rescue of Captain Semper and punish the one who has betrayed us all. My reply to you is the same as it was to the flag lieutenant, Marshal. I cannot... Ramus's voice was abruptly interrupted by Byzantine's own booming command. "'You misunderstand, Captain Ramus. I am an arbitrator, and the only power I answer to is the Emperor's sacred law! I do not need your permission! I am telling you what I intend to do!' There was a long pause over the comnet link. When Ramus spoke again, there was a new tone of slyly amused understanding in his voice.
1: "'Very
0: well, Marshal!' I wish the record to show that I object in the strongest terms to your actions, but that as a loyal servant of the Emperor and his law, I realize my hands are tied. Good hunting, Macarius. Bring your captain back to us, safe and unharmed. Battlefleet Gothic is the poorer without a man of his abilities. Drakenfels, out. Byzantine turned to Elante. "'seeing the look of confusion on the navy officer's face. "'This vessel is no longer part of Battlefleet Gothic, Lieutenant. "'In the Emperor's name by the authority invested in me "'as one of the keepers of his sacred law, "'I am commandeering this vessel and its crew.' "'Byzantine smiled, "'relishing the look of surprise on Alante's face. "'This vessel is now under the command of the Adeptus Arbites, "'at least for the time being. "'Issue your orders to your helmsman, Lieutenant.' You may change course back to Belatis whenever you are ready. Kyogen stepped forward. At over two metres in height, and wearing the imposing black uniform and silver skull rank insignia of an Imperial Commissar, Kyogen was used to putting the fear of the Emperor into just about every crewman aboard the Macarius. With Byzantine, who stood almost as tall in his bulky black-armoured uniform, he enjoyed no such advantage. The word of a ship's commissar was law on a navy vessel, but the word of an Arbites marshal was immutable law on every world throughout the Imperium. Byzantine locked eyes with the commissar, the two servants of Imperial Justice facing up to each other. "'You intend to force a way through the pursuing enemy vessels with just one ship?' asked Kyogen. "'I have no qualms with your intentions, Marshal, and I recognise that your authority is greater than mine.' But as ship's commissar, I must speak if I believe that the security of this ship is threatened by foolish or suicidal orders, which must surely result in its wasteful destruction. I assure you that we will not be alone, comrade commissar. After all, the Macarius is not the only Arbites vessel in this convoy, said Byzantine, gesturing again to the communications adepts. "'Open the comnet channel to the inviolable retribution.' "'Seconds later, the thick, hive-world-accented voice of Marshal Secundus Court "'sounded over the command-deck vox-speakers. "'I have been monitoring your communications, Marshal. What orders?' "'Come about full,' instructed Byzantine. "'Form up with your new Arbaitis sister-vessel, Macarius, and make with all speed.' On a return course back in system, justice awaits, Marshal Secundus. We have unfinished business to settle back on Bellatis. Linked into his ship's surveyor senses, Rames watched as the Macarius and the Arbites strike cruiser broke ranks with the rest of the Imperial convoy and set course back for Bellatis. Reaching out with a fire-withered claw hand, Rames opened up an internal calm channel to his vessel's bridge. "'Signal the rest of the convoy to proceed as planned,' he ordered his second-in-command. "'We will fall back and take up the rearguard position vacated by the Macarius,' he paused, and then ordered, almost as an afterthought, "'and instruct Magus Harithor to make good the damage done to our main drive systems.' "'Sir?' queried the voice of Rames's long-suffering second-in-command, confusion evident in his tone. "'The main engines are fully operational. "'Those infidel torpedoes caused only minor damage to our drive systems, "'all of which has now been repaired, according to the Magos.' "'Then tell that blasted machine god-groveler to check the systems again,' "'suggested Ramus, a conspiratorial tone creeping into his voice. "'I fear that not all the damage may have been found and repaired.' It would be unfortunate indeed if we were forced to drop out of the convoy due to any kind of engine malfunction or the need to make urgent battlefield repairs. His second in command, by now used to the irascible captain's often unpredictable ways, finally took the hint. Most unfortunate, Captain, he smiled, realization dawning in his voice. I shall make the necessary arrangements without further delay. On the bridge, of another warship. Another captain and his underlings were in urgent conference. Two of them, Commander, reported the captain of one of the Ford infidel escorts from over the Charybdis's command deck comnet. A dictator-class cruiser, and another warship. Its configuration is unfamiliar, although we believe it is some kind of light-scouting cruiser. They are both heading directly back towards us. What are your orders? The captain of the murder-class Chaos Cruiser considered the question. He knew that he had already risked the Despoiler's displeasure by his squadron's failure to destroy the Drakenfels and attack the Imperial Evacuation Fleet as it lay in vulnerable orbit position above the planet-killer target world. The Despoiler did not suffer failure, or even over-cautiousness in his commanders, and the master of the Charybdis knew that he must throw caution to the wind if he were to regain the warmaster's favour. Death in space combat could come in many different forms, but any of them would be better than the kind of fates reserved for those who had displeased Abaddon the despoiler. The Chaos Captain did not know why two of the Imperial warships had broken away from the convoy, but he knew that in doing so they offered him a chance to redeem himself to the War Master. "'Get it, Mr. Squadron!' he commanded. "'Warm up for the attack!' Through his mind-link with the plague creature now worming its way through the Macarius's metal innards, Cyril was aware of his prey's change of course minutes before it registered on his vessel's long-range surveyor screens. Reverberating through the pipeways and ducts along which his puppet creature now crawled, he felt and heard the rumbling boom of the enemy vessel's main engine drive firing up to full capacity. He felt that strange tell tale, invisible tugging sensation that came as a vessel's artificial gravity field shifted to compensate for sudden changes in its course and trajectory. The Macarius was radically coming about he realised excitedly, turning away from the rest of the convoy and accelerating away on a return course back to Bellatis. Cyril did not know or understand why his prey was now hurtling back towards him, towards its doom, but he knew that this unexpected turn of events would only make his task all the easier. The Chaos Captain smiled to himself. The powers of the warp were clearly with him. Grandfather Nurgle himself must be watching over the fortunes of his loyal servant. Faster! The Grandfather grows impatient! He snapped to his crew, looking at the display on the command deck surveyor screen. Ship icons glowed in sickly shades of colour through the crystal cataract-clouded surface of the screen. The Charybdis, with its escorts, were already racing to intercept the Macarius and its still unknown companion vessel, but Cyril was not concerned, knowing now that the destruction of the hated Imperial ship was fated to him alone. Around the Virulent, in the vanguard of the Chaos Fleet, other ships swarmed forward, their captains eagerly slipping free of their leashes as enemy targets of opportunity now presented themselves to their vessel surveyor senses. And behind them all came the planet killer, its massive energy presence blossoming urgently across surveyor screens. Crackling bursts of seething energy flowed freely around the spires and turrets of the huge weapons platform as it drew power directly from the warp itself, powering up its terrifying Armageddon gun and weapon array in readiness for unleashing that energy magnified many times over by the arcane technologies used in the vessel's construction on its chosen target. For Pilatus, and all upon it, Execution Hour was here at last. Alarm peals sounded through the many decks of the Macarius, calling its crew to arms. Armsmen and shouting petty officers roused men from what meagre rest they were allowed, kicking and cursing them as they herded them out of their bunk rooms to their appointed duty stations. Teams of sweating, straining gunnery ratings dragged colossal platform-mounted guns along wide tracks, locking them into position and making them ready for firing. Chain gang crews of indentured workers hauled on pulley chains thicker than a man's body, opening up gun ports in preparation for battle. Deep in the ship's generarium core, armour-suited engineers and prayer-intoning tech priests nurse the ship's ancient plasma reactor hearts, bleeding additional amounts of energy through to feed the hungry demands of the vessel's thousands of power systems. In a small chapel shrine below the main crew decks, Ref Zane finished off his prayers and hastily gathered up his collection of personal relics and charms, wrapping them in the woven prayer mat which he tucked inside the thick padded jacket of his flight suit. It was uncomfortably hot and humid in the shrine room, thick energy conduits humming with power passed through the bulkhead walls around it. But Zane preferred to carry out his devotions here, in private, away from the main shrines on the busy crew decks above. Still, he would now have to hurry back to the flight deck in answer to the general alert signal now sounding. Zane. Zane stopped short in the corridor outside, uncertain whether he had really heard the faint, whispering voice. Perhaps he had just imagined it amongst the dull throb of the ship's engines, and the distant but distinct clamour of voices from the decks above. And then, from out of the darkness, he heard it again. To your duty, Zane. A spectral figure, encircled by a pale, dancing nimbus of light, stood at the turn of the passageway. Zane felt the eerie radiance play over his face. Within the light, few details were visible. Only the shining face of the haloed figure and the sacred runes glow etched into its archaic power armour. Zane had seen that face, so impossibly beautiful before, years ago, as a young Ministorum novice acolyte on Sacra Evangelista. With a shock of recognition, he fell to his knees. My lady, he gasped, bowing his head, unable to look the blessed vision in the face. Do your duty, Zane. To your ship. To the Emperor. To me. Serve me. Be my avenging fury. The nimbus of light shifted from his face. He dared to look up, seeing the light fade away, disappearing round the corner of the passageway. From behind him came the sound of the alarm bell, calling him to his duty as a crewman aboard a vessel of the Divine Emperor's Imperial Navy. Ahead of him was a summons to a far different, higher duty. It had been almost a quarter of a century, a lifetime ago, since the warrior angel had appeared to him, changing his life forever. Now it had come to him again. He had obeyed its call once. What of a choice did he have now? Zane drew the short, snub-nosed Laz pistol from the holster pocket of his flight suit and moved off up the dank passageway, Following the nimbus of light in the distance, following it into the unknown darkness. Jarrah Kale wanted to sit up, but the pain from his torn belly and guts seared like white hot fire whenever he tried to move. With a newfound clarity that only comes too late to men such as himself, he realized that he had been tricked. There would be none of the pleasures and rewards which the one who had bewitched him had promised. He realised now that he had been played for a fool all along, that there would be no escape in death, that he had damned his soul to an eternity of suffering within the hungry coils of the things that waited for him in the warp. With a trembling hand, he reached out to grasp the robes of a passing sororitas nurse, pulling urgently on the hem. Sister, he gasped. "'You must help me!' The Confessor of the Navy, Captain. You must bring them to me. There is something. Please, I beg you. There is much they must be told. The Sororitas' sister looked into the face of the dying man. She had seen so much death and pain here amongst the infirmary's inmates in the last few days. She was inured to the horrors of so many dying suffering patients, to their delirious babbling and their begging cries for relief from the pain. And yet there was something in this one's eyes, an unexpected desperate intensity that struck a chord within her. Had Court been here, he could have told her what it was, the desperate need to confess at the moment of death, to be able to say one last truth after so many falsehoods and betrayals. She clasped, Cale's clutching hand, squeezing it in a small but genuine gesture of assurance. Wait, I will bring someone to you, one of the Seraphim sisters or a preacher, if one can be found. Cale waited, drifting in and out of pain-edged unconsciousness. He was awoken again by a dark-robed figure kneeling over him. His vision was blurred and indistinct, his sight failing as the life ebbed out of him. Father, he began. I must speak with someone. I must. A jewel-ringed hand clamped over his mouth, cutting off the words of his final confession. The figure leant down over him, hissing urgently into his ear. Fool! Did you really think that I would let you betray me now? Cale tried to struggle, tried to cry out, but who would notice one more moaning, weakly thrashing figure amongst the hundreds of other seriously injured that filled the infirmary? to overflowing. He felt the figure's other hand close at his throat, felt the bite of a tiny cutting edge against his skin, and remembered the crystal venom ring that his betrayer always wore. A brief second struggle, as the coursing venom racked his body with a final spasm of agony. And then it was all over. His killer knelt for a few seconds more over the body, touching a hand to its neck, satisfied that there was no pulse. To an observer, the dark-cloaked figure could have been any of the infirmary's ministerum attendants, conducting the rituals of the last rites over the body of a dead or dying man. When the Sororitas sister returned a few minutes later with a sister superior, the nearest thing she could find to a preacher, she found that her efforts had all been in vain. Whatever First Minister Jara Kale had had to say, He had taken the secrets of his deathbed confession with him to the warp. They are coming, gasped the dying astropath. Sobek reached out, running his hands over Semper's face as the Navy commander leaned down to support him, one arm round his shoulders. It was the only means of vision the astropath had left. The mental effort of piercing the maelstrom of psychic energy thrown out by the despoilers' terrible exterminator weapon had been too much for the old man, and now the last of his psychic vision had deserted him as the numbing paralysis spread through his still hemorrhaging brain. You are sure? You have received word from my ship's astropath. My senses are deaf to the voices of my brethren now, but I know that your vessel and another are coming, Sobek replied. "'I have seen it in the visions that have been granted to me. "'It is not the Emperor's will that you die here this day, Leotan Semper. "'He has other tasks in mind for you, perhaps.' "'What other tasks? Why would I be spared? Why not any of these others?' asked Semper, "'gesturing at the pathetic, heroic remnants of the Frataris pilgrims around him. "'Their faith and devotion is stronger than mine.' Sobek's reply was a sighing whisper, barely audible against the rising din of the heretic chants from outside. Semper lent in close, straining to hear the dying astropath's last words. We are all called to serve the Emperor as he sees fit, Captain. Remember the sacrifice of those you see around you now. Remember it for perhaps one day. It will be your duty to avenge it. Come in! They're coming! Semper, with Devane, kneeling close beside him, looked up sharply at the shouts of the young Frataris brother as he ran towards them down the aisle of the Cathedral Hall, calling out the message sent back from the defenders outside. They're coming! The heretics are coming! In their thousands! They come! When Semper and the Imperial Preacher glanced back, At the figure lying on the floor between them, they saw the lifeless and strangely peaceful features of the astropath looking up at them. The two men glanced at each other. If your ship is coming for you, it had better hurry, noted Devane, bending down to perform the blessing of the fallen over the corpse, pulling the astropath's hood down over his sightless face in a final gesture of respect. Destiny or not, I'm not planning on leaving here just yet, replied Semper, accepting and checking the ammo load of the auto-pistol that Devane wordlessly handed him. Together, the two Imperial servants gathered up their troops and led them at a sprint toward the cathedral doors. Seconds later, the first heretic artillery shells crashed into the ancient walls of the cathedral. Inside the building, the wounded and the families of the Frataris defenders moaned in despair. The final, surely overwhelming heretic attack had begun. It was now only a matter of time before the place fell to the enemy. And there you go. It's a bit grim, isn't it? It's a bit, it's a bit grim, dark. These old books are like so harsh. Um, in comparison to some of the newer stuff, it's a lot more. Like, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess, current forty k stuff is still really harsh. I mean. Again, as many times I mentioned, you know the um, the Fabius Ball series, so clever, so harsh, so dark. But you know, obviously, a lot of the other Chaos stuff is very like that. You know, the Word bearer series I recommend, the Khan, the Betrayer novels I recommend, the uh, the the the, um, uh, the Araman novels I recommend. What is it, what else is there? There's the um, Midnight Clad, Night Lords, Night Lords, Night Lords. Obviously, recommend, but. Um, yeah, like these ones, these old ones though, you know, pfft, oof, oof, some of the stuff that's been in this novel has been insane and I forgot, and I'm, sh- I'm sure it didn't affect me in any possible way when I was younger, you know, when I was a kid reading these novels, I'm sure it didn't affect me in any bad way, I'm sure it didn't have any bad prob- cause to anything. anything, yeah, I'm sure it was fine, I'm sure it was perfectly fine for me to be reading these novels, just like reading Hannibal Lecter, um, you know, just like reading those novels, that was fine for me as well. I found that uh, an uplifting experience when I was a a wee lad. I was allowed to read them. That was great. Anyway, thank you all for watching. The names going by here are the people who support the channel and to you guys, really appreciate it, really, really helps. If you guys would like, if any of you guys out there would like to support the channel, please consider using the links below or becoming a YouTube channel member. This really, really helps. But if you could just give the video a like, uh, let me know in the comments what you think. I've I've had to change, I had a bit of a technical error which I won't go into. But I had a bit of a technical problem, so I've had to change some of the sound settings. So it might, I'm not too sure if this is going to sound different or not. I think I've gone a bit like, I want to say I've gone snow blind, but you know what I mean? I can't really tell the difference anymore. So do let me know in the comments if you think the sound's okay. I appreciate that. Um, But uh, yeah, this is the sound quality we've got at the moment for the foreseeable, because I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) All I know is what, all I know how to do is what the last tutorial I watched told me what to do. That's it. I don't know. I'm not a sound guy, right? Anyway, thank you all very much again. And uh, I will be back with the last part coming up soon. So the the next one is the last one. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, again, thank you for for watching these. I'm I'm glad you've enjoyed them. It's been a real joy to go through this again. But anyway, I'll talk about that next time. Bye-bye.